Welcome to episode two of Views from the Clutch. I'm your boy Smart Alex, and you know I got my partner in crime with me. Yeah, yeah, C Grant or Live Life Grant, whichever way you want to call it. Yeah, we'll get to throwing social media hashtags and all those things out there. But before we get started, I want to say uh, a big time thank you to all of the supporters that we've managed to corral in our first foray into podcasting. We appreciate all the feedback y'all have given us. We definitely plan on including you guys in future episodes. So be on the lookout. We appreciate voicemails that we've gotten, or one of them. We hope to continue to get more as the season progresses. But for now, we're just going to jump into the topics that we want to discuss. And I think we had to start with bullet points. Do you want to start with the bullet points or do you want to go into what we did our research and preparation on first? I think we should do the bullet points. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So first on the docket is um, I want to discuss the aftermath of the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Los Angeles Clippers introductory press conference. Did you get a chance to actually see it? Yeah, I saw some of it. I didn't even, I didn't even listen to the whole thing. I was like, I'm not. They're not getting 30 minutes of my life. Uh, they could get, you know, what I mean, they, they got good enough to see some of the highlights. I think they brought a lot of um, interesting aspects of what players deal with in free agency to the table during that conversation. Some of the questions they were asked and how they chose to approach with their answers. I think it was a wise decision on their part to let Paul George go for it first with most of the answers, because I think those two seasons with Westbrook kind of groomed him to be even better with the media than he was before when he was with the Pacers. So I think Kawhi did a good job of following his lead and keeping his answers the way we know Kawhi to be short and sweet. But I do feel like they left a lot of explanations out there on the table, mainly because it probably would have put them in a position to offend some people. So I did want to, kind of get into that because one of the questions that were asked were um, two things. One, Paul George was asked about the situation about how he got himself out of Oklahoma City and into the Clippers. And his answer was, oh, it was a mutual thing. Oh, yeah. And Presley, Presley they, from what I was, I didn't follow up on it, but they were saying Presley was like, nah, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the same thing. That's not what that's basically the feeling, the feeling wasn't neutral. So that was kind correct. of crazy. That's absolutely correct. Sam Presti made sure that he made it clear that what Paul George presented wasn't, you know, his perspective on it. Like, I don't want to get into calling people liars, so on and so forth, but I definitely will say Sam Presti didn't share the same perspective that Paul George did in regards to it being a mutual thing. He did agree that they did work mutually to get him somewhere that Paul George wanted to be. So we'll leave that at that. And then the secondary point was the reporter also asked them how they felt about player empowerment and about how players are now using their strength to get themselves to teams they want to play for, whether or not they're a free agent or not. And Paul George kind of like glanced over it, you know, the way that a player would when he's not trying to, you know, rub anybody the wrong way. And Kawhi was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I was a free agent. And I just found yeah. that whole, I found that whole way they chose to answer it to be a little bit way too evasive for anybody with intelligence to really accept because we all know if you haven't heard through the back channels what happened with Kawhi. Kawhi was out there basically trying to do a Space Jam type of thing. He was looking for a lot of wingmen. Yeah. So he went through his Rolodex of NBA All-Stars 
and just proceeded to call them one by one. And all of these, and all of these, you know, conversations, not even conversations, but all these people he contacted, their people are starting to leak out to the media what happened during that free agency period. So, I mean, I think we knew up front that he reached out to Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant had already let him know, like, you know, do your thing, but that's not for me. Kyrie Irving, same thing, Jimmy Butler, and then down the line. So basically all of the top tier free agents got contacted by Kawhi Leonard when he was in his meeting with the Clippers, Toronto and Laker thing that he had going on. And it just so happened to be out of all those guys that he could get to be willing to join him on the Clippers, it wound up being Paul George. So I got to give Paul George a lot of credit because I think he stood to take the biggest hit from everybody who got reached out to and orchestrating himself to get to the Clippers. But I'm kind of glad he did it because, I mean, I've always felt like when a player gets an opportunity to go home and he realized what he kind of like left behind when he didn't do it the first time when he went to Oklahoma City and now that he's doing it with the Clippers, you know, this is, this is, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm in my grown man mode. I got family, kids and so on and so forth, and I want to be somewhere where I'm comfortable. I want to be in my element. So I do understand and respect that, but I do also think that their approach to how they chose to confront what they did, was a, it left a little too much to the imagination. And I just hope that... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying, like, that's the NBA for you. You know what I mean? You're never going to get all the answers, but at the same time, the players got to do what you got to do, man. Because, like you said, the, the biggest thing is, with the teams, they can throw you away and get rid of you whenever they feel like it. So now with the power, with play empowerment, it's like, nah, I want to take matters in my own hand. If I want to rock wherever I want to rock, I should do that because the uh, average consumer, you can do that for your own job, your nine to five joint. Yeah, we're not getting paid forty million dollars for it. But if we want to leave, you want to leave your job tomorrow. You can. You just be nice enough to put your two weeks in and you out. So why can't these dudes do it? Because the the teams, these cats, sometimes we find out they get traded off of social media. They don't even hear from the coaches. Like, I agree. How dirty is that? Like, if you're going to do me dirty, plus, you got to think about it. Some of these cats grew up with their favorite players getting treated like trash. You know what I'm saying? Look at us. We Nick fans. Patrick Ewan, they did him dirty. So it's like, people going to remember that. Look at, look at Pazingas. Melo was his favorite player. Look how dirty they did Melo. Like, people remember these type of things. So they're like, you know what? When I get the opportunity, shoot on the other foot. Like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Like, you can tell me, like, I'm in Oklahoma City. We ain't winning. We never going to win. And somebody called me and said, yo, you come back to the crib. And I, even if you don't win, you back at the crib. Like, who don't want to play for their hometown? You know what I'm saying? And and you got you in a better position because now you just went to a better team. And I, who cares about some draft picks? I can give you 30 draft picks. I, most, of the, most of them draft picks that I'm trading away – of players that I probably that I probably never played for me anyway because I'll retrade that draft pick for somebody else I want. Or he might be a boss. Or he's not going to amount to the player that I'm trading for anyway. Like We'll have to look at the numbers later, but how many of these draft picks turn into – how many cats turn into Russell, Russell Westbrook? How many cats turn into Paul George? How many turn, cats turn into Kawhi Leonard? You know what I mean? That was, oh, this dude was traded in – you know, 2005, and they, they took the 2017 pick, and it ended up being Kawhi. Like, you know what I'm saying? How often that happens? So, now nah, I'm well, I'm off that. Like, player empowerment, I'm well, all for it, man. I'm definitely so supportive the NBA. of the-, the NBA loves that, too. They, they front. Because now you got crazy Christmas matchups. Lakers versus crazy. Clippers on Christmas. You got the Knicks versus the Nets on Christmas. 
like people were really going to tune in because a lot of the average fan don't watch it until Christmas. You know what I mean? So now you got like merchandise is going to go back through the roof. You know what I'm saying? Look how many LA jerseys is going to sell. Nobody's buying Clipper jerseys before. You know what I'm saying? Now you got a reason. Yeah, there's a couple of random ironies in that whole situation, but um, just to clear a few things up. You're a Knicks fan. I'm a Knicks supporter. I'm a Lakers fan. So that being said, we're just going to leave it at that when it comes to, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to I've, I've Yo, been a Lakers fan right. since I was a baby. Moving to New York has made me embrace and want to see New York do well. But for me to call myself a fan, I feel like that would put me in a real precarious position. So I'm never going to embody myself as a Knicks fan. Maybe, maybe, maybe another 10 more years and I might do that. But to touch back on what you were speaking to in regards to the player empowerment thing, I respect 100% what you're saying, but here's the counterpoint. We as everyday citizens, we're not working on a contractual basis. We're given a salary, a work schedule, and an expectation of when to perform, so on and so forth. These guys are contracted to play for one organization for a set term, for a set amount, and that's that. So when you do request to be moved, you are indeed looking to circumvent the contract that you, as the player, agreed to sign. You get what I'm trying to say? No, I understand, but remember that contract can be broken by ownership at any given moment. Agreed. So, so, so I could. So then the thing about it is, well, I want to turn it around and say, listen, I'm saying in both of our best interests, as you as management, move me and move my contract to somebody else, and you take on to something else. Because at this point, I'm going to be a disgruntled employee or I'm going to help you guys, but I'm going to let everybody else know I don't want to be here. So what you want to do? I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and teams do that too. Because the moment yeah. that they announce that a player is on the quote-unquote trading block or a quote-unquote player has been made available, it's the exactly. absolute, it's the absolute player equivalent to... It's the absolute a player equivalent. Okay, so fair is fair. So we'll just call it a draw. But yeah, I just... if, remember, it's like basketball. Like most people have a problem because basketball is a guaranteed contract, and football they'll cut you in a, in a heartbeat, or because they don't pay you. Like you could be due thirty million dollars tomorrow, and they'll cut you right now. Like nah, I'm good. The yeah. contract is null and void. You know what I mean? So it's like they don't. If these teams, these billionaires don't honor that contract. Why is me as a dude that is is kind of fed up in your town? Like, your fans is cool. The fans always get the short end of the stick. But the fans, that's why a lot of fans are just fans of players. They're not fans of teams anymore because they're like, yo, there is no I'm brought up under this same team because this team has always been consistent. Like, if you're a Spurs fan, you're a Spurs fan because y'all been nice for the last 25 years. And no matter who's in there, that organization has run like a well-ordered machine. But, you know, as a Knicks fan, even the Lakers, the last six years, y'all have had this – the same record as the Knicks. It's been a horrible, the worst record worse. in the league in, in, Actually in six worse. years. You know what I mean? Actually worse. Yeah, the, the Lakers and the Lakers have actually underperformed in contrast <laughs> to, to the Knicks actually have had some seasons that were better than the Lakers in regards to because remember the, the Lakers the Lakers were perennial number two draft slot for like three years in a row. What did we yeah, do? What did got, we do? They got, yeah, we they did got Lonzo, Russell, they got... Randall, Lonzo. No, no, no. Uh, and not that order, it. but Ingram. No, Ingram. It was yeah. It was. Right. It was. So that's um, four. It was. 
No, Randall. Randall was yeah. He Randall was a top pick, but he wasn't. Um, he was number, number two. two pick. What was he? Three no, or Ju- four? Ju- no, Julius Randall wasn't number. No, Julius Randall was like seven okay. or something like that. No, but okay. I mean, they literally had number two. They had Russell. They had Ball, and then they had Ingram. Or Ingram was before Lonzo. Right. So, but I'm saying, yeah, you had the number two pick, and then honestly, all the picks you could easily say you drafted the wrong dude. You know what I mean? Because there's no nobody could tell me uh, Lonzo's better than De'Aaron Fox. I don't care who you are. Nobody knows that. Like, in, even in college, Lonzo. I mean, not to knock on Lonzo because he, you know, he is who he is. And uh, I never want to knock an NBA player. Even like, I want to go back real quick. Last episode, it sounded like I was trashing Otto Porter. He made it to the league. I didn't. So, you know what I mean? So, obviously, he's an elite player, but. You know, we're going to talk how we're going to talk. And, you know, as a man, you got to we're, we're referring to these guys when we speak on their skill level, talent, and caliber on par with their peers. This is never exactly. about this is never about any of us at any time, meaning you or myself, believing that, oh, if I bumped into him and he decided to take me to Hollis Park, that I'm going to give him the ones. Like, that's not going to happen. We're, we're fully aware of where we sit in basketball capability. But we, yeah, yeah. with our basketball knowledge and experience, we're able to speak on where these guys sit amongst their peers. And you're right. When it comes down to it, no matter how Otto Porter might take the last podcast we did, it doesn't change the fact that he's not amongst the top 10 small forwards in the league. Yeah. 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 But it, 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 and it also agent, doesn't change it, the fact. Oh, and that was, he was actually that, that restriction deal was actually Brooklyn. that gave it. Gave right. He got game. a poison pill contract, which was yeah. the old way. And the only team that is still trying to do the poison pill contract is I believe Memphis pulled it off this year when they gave Tyus Jones three years, $28 million, or three years, yeah, $27 yeah. million. Because Minnesota, Minnesota wasn't going to take him back for that. Yeah. Well, I, to be honest, you know what? Again, rather than yeah. trash the guy, I would say this. And as a Duke fan, Tyus Jones is a, great, is a great kid, but I don't know if he's worth that much over that period of time. He might develop into it, but as a backup NBA point guard, I do think that you could probably get somebody on par with him for less of the price. Yeah, but it's all about negotiation because you never get paid what you worth. You get paid what Agreed. you negotiate. And that then there's no, real, there's no real fair estimation of worth because they've said that LeBron James has been categorically un- underpaid since he's been an NBA player. And that's of probably course. right. You know, yeah, absolutely. if we were paying on what he generates, he's probably about $150 million a year that, that, that he's capable of easily yes, shouldering for the league just by yeah. being present every, every game that he chooses to play. So, of course. I definitely get that. The second bullet point. So we're going to leave the whole Kawhi, Paul George press conference thing alone. Go to the second bullet point that we also discussed while preparing for this episode. Ben Simmons taking jump shots. Shooting them blindfolded. My man shoots blindfolded, man. I ain't going to lie to you. Listen, yo. His video, you know, it's so crazy in the video that I saw him shooting a jump shot. Okay, wait, I, let's make sure we saw the same video. Did you see the video that was between somewhere like two to four minutes? It wasn't that long, it was kind of yeah, like no, a highlight reel of everything Ben Simmons did while no, present. No, 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 the video I saw, he was working out like with his other peers, uh, in a gym, look like it was maybe like a, a high school gym, but they were full court though. It was full yeah, court, yeah, full court, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's the same video, yeah. But my thing is, yo, he only shot like three of them joints. We don't know if he was like three for 30. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know that. You know what I'm saying? He might, because, you know, they can clip it up nice. And he's, don't get me wrong, he's dumb nice. 
He just don't have a shot. Like he like I don't understand as a as a certain a, a professional, right? Just you the master at your craft. You wanted the, the cream of the crop. How you don't even take jumpers? Like you 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 really don't believe in your form or your skill set when it comes to jump shots that much that you say, now nah, I'm good. Like cats is cats is literally underneath the rim and you at the top of the key. And they got their back turned to you because they know you ain't going to shoot. Like, the disrespectfulness. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of them dudes, like, when they be like, like leave him open, let him shoot. That's what we want to shoot. Yeah, you know he I mean? gets violated at the park when he's open. The Yo, things that come man. out of the opposing player's mouth when he's about to pull up from anywhere on the court outside of five feet are probably some of the most horrendous things you can say to somebody as a man on the basketball court. Like, Yo. when I Yo. mean, growing up, if you've ever played basketball and you were that guy who couldn't shoot, the things that got said to you until you figured it out, they yeah. stuck with you. And he, but he's a professional. Like He's a professional. But then, here's the thing. Let, let, let's go into a few things. Ben Simmons is not from the United States. His basketball progression really didn't start taking place until he got to LSU. I mean, yeah, he did the AAU circuit and did whatever – Australian rules basketball situation they had going over there. I think he's actually from New Zealand. Whatever the case may be, he's from he's yeah. From his that pops is a, a pops is a professional athlete, right? A basketball player. Here's my thing: you're left-handed, C. Grant. You yeah. watched him take those shots. You've taken thousands of jump shots. I know because I've passed you the ball for a whole bunch of them. His form. Were you able to actually even look at it and critique it and see if you saw anything that gave you an inclination that he even looked comfortable? Now, heck no. Heck wow. no. Yo, he was he was looking like, y'all, hurry up and get this ball. Right, it was like a hot potato to him. <laughs> like, he was like, nah, I can't. Like, this is, honestly, he really, to me, doesn't, you know, I know everybody has a different form, but he didn't even, he didn't look comfortable. He looked like he wanted to get the ball out of there, like, Yo, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. How you could be that nice, at, but when it to everything in every other facet, you, you could dribble, you could shoot either hand, but when it comes to jump shots, you are like scared. You know what I mean? Like, nah. But I didn't see anything. And they, people in the media, I heard people in the media talking about they think he's shooting with the wrong hand. That might be the case because remember, remember Tristan Thompson. Let's don't, don't bring him up. He no, is a I'm, horrible example of what happens when you attempt to try and switch hands shooting the basketball. Because it got no better for him. No, I, he, what I'm saying is at least he attempted. That was my whole thing. He at least attempted the shots. They were terrible. And that's why, you know, we're gonna get we're not gonna talk about him too much, but you gotta at least attempt. Because how do I know if you shoot with the right hand if you never shoot it? You know what I mean? Like and he goes to the free throw line. Ben Simmons is like almost Ben Wallace when they come to free throws. So he is he, a mess, man. Okay. So let let's let's I don't want to throw you know like whole hardcore numbers that. out there, but how many shots outside of the paint do you think Ben Sh- Ben Simmons is gonna take? Let me give you a reference point, just give oh, you an this, idea. This season? Rajon Rondo in forty six games for the Lakers took 290 two-pointers. He took 142 three-pointers. Now, this is Rajon Rondo we're talking about, who statistically and from eye test, clearly one of the worst shooters to ever have a long-term NBA career. 
If he yeah. took 292-point shots and Rondo is one of the type of people who we know can get to the basket, I would give him maybe 145, half, or probably near the painted area. So that means about 145 of his shots, give or take, would probably take it outside of the paint. Do you think Ben Simmons will take 150 shots outside of the paint next season? I don't even think he'll take that in his career. Because I believe he took something like seven. In his career so far? No, no, no. Last year, I think he took oh. seven total outside of the paint for a home. I think son. he played 82. Those, stats, those type of stats are hard to retrieve because those are linked to, like, you know, the super stat tracking sites like VR and so on and so forth. So they may yeah, not yeah. be readily available on the Internet. We are going to start digging deep and trying to make sure that we can get a hold of stats that really help reinforce these points that we're trying to make. But absolutely, if I see or hear that Ben Simmons took 150 shots outside of the paint, I'll be happy for him. And me, speaking on the voice of optimism, from what I saw, his release point, where he left his arm at on the shots that they kept in the clip that went in, they looked okay. Now, keep in mind, and this is my own NBA theory. I've never really, like, forcefully broadcast this. There are probably less than five really great all-time shooters that were left-handed in the NBA. Shooters. Mm. And I can That's, give you wow. and I can give you one, and then I promise you, after I give you that one, you're probably gonna do a couple circles before you come back with another one. I'm gonna say Michael Red, and then I'm Chris gonna leave the Chris Mullen. Ah, there we are. So two, two in two separate basketball generations. And beyond yeah. that, and you and I have been watching basketball for quite a long time. So it's not like we're trying to ignore other great left-handed shooters that were out there. It's just not that many great left-handed shooters that were out there that shot. Nick Van Exel, he was a gunner. No, nah, he was a gunner. He was a volume shooter. Right. So I didn't want to throw him in there and say, okay. So again, if we go through like the all-time three-point shooters and so on and so forth, you're not going to find many left-handed players, if any. And I'm no, not to no, say no. that you're predisposed because you're left hand, you won't be a good shooter. Lamar Odom was an excellent shooter inside of the inside of the, the three point line. Lamar Odom was a very reliable shooter. Did he chew volume? Mm. No. Did he take conventional shots? No. But he made a lot of what he took because he took the right shots with his skill set. And there are other mm. left handed players out there who are able to do that. Thaddeus Young is he's made a whole career out of being left handed. So I'm not saying that you can't be left handed and succeed. It's just the threshold for a left-handed target shooter, which is what we'll call these guys that are, you know, flat-out gunners who, oh, my God, why did you leave them open types? There aren't that many that are left-handed. So I don't really think Ben Simmons but do you, put do you too much pressure on himself. Do you, let me ask you this. You, consider, you don't consider James Harden a good jump shooter, right? I consider James Harden to be good at whatever he wants to do. I just think he overindulges in everything that he wants to do. I mean, the guy okay. took more step-back threes than the entire league by himself. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, we all know the step-back three is not only one of the newest shots in the five year, past five-year history of the NBA. It's one of the most difficult. No, absolutely. You're, you're talking about rearranging the whole entire mechanics of what every kid was taught growing up to shoot that shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going you're gonna to pull back off of your back foot, plant with your lead foot, get yourself lined up with the basket, and with that momentum that you created going backwards, you're going to go straight up in the air 
and then go through your normal shot mechanics. That's tough. That's extremely tough. And a lot of these kids now that are getting drafted, they have that in their arsenal already. Like they, they were showing some of these summer league kids, and a few of them were shooting step back threes, like you know, ah, it's like tying laces. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it, yo. Somebody, listen, I ain't gonna lie. These some of these kids nowadays, yo, their skill sets are out of out of control. Out of you know what it is though. But I was telling my um, I was telling somebody, these kids now have trainers. They don't like what we used to just go to the park. And or we have a coach that want to put put us on a basketball team or whatever, and we have practice. Now these cats have practice and they have trainers. Like, Agree. And and also they have the internet, so I can watch somebody else do something. I'm saying, oh, I'm gonna put that into my arsenal. Yeah. Yeah. Or you or if you know you live in the hood, you go and steal all the construction cones. You take them down to the local park. Now you have your obstacles for you to do dribble drills. Yeah. So on and so forth. You could go out and take the chairs from grandma's porch. And you could put those out there. So, yes, you definitely now, as a basketball player growing up, if you have accesses to resources, simple basic resources like the internet, even a library for, for if you want to be, you know, really traditional throwback, there's a lot of different ways you can train yourself and advent and update your arsenal that our generation really wasn't exposed to. It was almost like that specialty level training, that was only given to like the creme de la creme. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. if a guy had a one on one session with an NBA player or a former NBA player, we knew that that guy was getting streamlined to go somewhere special with his basketball talent. Like, oh, he's about to go to Duke next year, so he's working out with Tony Campbell or so yeah. on and so forth. Exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, we witnessed it when we were at John Jay College and we used to watch them all the semi pros and pros get together, and you would see who was getting pulled from that crowd and, and being taught to work on certain things. Like, we saw it with Al Harrington. Al Harrington yeah. got some of the best tutelage we probably ever could have seen on a personal level just watching him play at our gym when we were done practicing. And I thought that that was dope. And now, like you're saying, that specialty training, that's almost like commonplace with a lot of these kids. And you're talking about kids who they're going to wind up going to, like, Delaware State, but their whole entire basketball career has been spent under the tutelage of, like you said, a specialist. And I think that's amazing that the sport has progressed to that level. Yeah. But I don't want to stick too hard on those two bullet points, but I definitely wanted to point out that those are two things that I took notice of. The, the press conference and the fact that Ben Simmons actually had the courage to allow somebody to release footage of him shooting jump shots. Because here we are, Markel Fultz jump shot ain't been seen this year. The one time we saw it, they didn't even let you see the ball go in or out. Yeah. A leaked Instagram video was looped of his release and the ball, to be honest, and the trajectory didn't even look like it was going to go in anyway. So I think they was doing us a favor by not showing us where it might have actually landed. But we're going to jump into the, the, the main objectives that, that we, um, we agreed to work on on this podcast. Um, my first bullet point, and then the alternating bullet point is going to be yours, is I wanted to talk about who you think have the top five young NBA cores. I'm not putting an age threshold on it because I think age in the NBA is kind of relative to the players, not necessarily to their actual age. So I want to hold a team that may have a few guys that are in like their late 20s against them and say that they're not young because youth in NBA is reflective of when you actually come into your own. And we all know that some basketball players, they don't mature until 30. And then they well, end up having these seasons. That would have to be under 30, the players. Okay. So we, we, we can stick with under 30. And if, and if we need to go back and, and recount or discredit anybody that we mentioned, then, you know, we'll, we'll just go ahead and have to do it. Um, by default, I think that 
I don't think there's any way you could take New Orleans out of the conversation. I think that I don't know how you could not include New Orleans in any of your easily. You said five young core. Yeah. So I'm thinking the young core is like what three players maybe or uh, starting five. You talking about? Uh, I think three or more young players that are going to be prominent or integral components of that franchise. Okay. Okay. That they're playing for now. Okay. So, and that's why I think New Orleans by default is just, just, I mean, come on, they have Lonzo Ball, Ingram. They just drafted two kids that are going to play next year, Zion and the uh, center. Oh yeah. That's who I think is going to be underrated. Jackson. In this day and age in NBA, he's going to be, he might be all right. I mean, come on. They're letting John Collins get away with murder. There's no way this kid can. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. And, and speaking of John Collins, that's another one of my young cores that I think is going to be, it should be in the top five, and that's Atlanta. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if they have more than three young players. I think, didn't they just let Torian Prince go? Yeah, he went to he Brooklyn. Did. He went to Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, that's why I was part of the reason why I put Brooklyn in the top five of the East teams. Um, and, you know, even to be fair, I could even say that a team like Philadelphia with only two notable, really young players, they could even be considered. Because when you've got two top ten talents on your team, I don't think you can take Philly out of your top five. No. I have, I have Philly because Harris is not 30 yet. I think Tobias is only like 27, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and then Tobias they, is, on the, is on, the, on the earlier side of 30. He's yeah, 27. Side, so. He's 27. Remember, he came, out of, he came out of like 18 and 19 years old. Correct. And he came from Long Island. So, again, I, I have no Tobias slander, even though that video that we did both watched he was listed as Philly's most overplayed player, unfortunately. But what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, but not Philly definitely because um, even the Richardson cat is, I think, is kind of young. Who came from Miami? He correct. Came from Miami, yeah. So they're starting five is, except for Al Horford, four out of the five is under thirty. So you know, yeah, and they're going to be there for a while because they're all signed long term deals. You know, but I had I had Denver. With, uh, oh, Denver is easily in that top five. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I had Denver because Jokic, Jokic, the Joker, uh, and Murray, them two alone is going to give you. They might both be all stars. Um, this upset, depending on what they do this upcoming season. But then oh, like, Murray will not be an all star. I think he's a point guard. He's a guard. He, yeah, see, and that's there's what, not enough people in there's not enough people and, in Denver to get him into the game. And that's, that's and that's why I was saying. Remember how I made the point I made last time about going east because correct. You want to get that max. You need not, to be not somewhere just, where you can be seen. Not just the max. You want to be known as an all-star. That sounds a lot better than, yo, you was nice in the league. And he's good, but he's not an all-star. You know what I mean? Like, a 10-time all-star sounds a lot better than, yo, he got buckets in the West, and he was a tough. You know, I mean, you know peer-to-peer who's who and who should be an all-star, but sometimes you want to be acknowledged as, you know, now introducing 10-time all-star, now introducing 5-time all-star. Instead of just now introducing five-year veteran NBA player, like I definitely agree that it puts it puts an extra notch on your on your, your belt. It definitely puts a couple stars on your resume. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that to be included. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, we said we said Philadelphia, yeah, Denver, New Orleans, yeah. See, I, um, you said Atlanta too. I said Atlanta. See, I put I think and I, I, and I put Sacramento. 
Sacramento. Yeah, mm. De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Hill, and um, the dude Bayonne. Bagley. And Bagley. Oh, Bagley too, but I'm thinking the Bordon kid, the, the dude from overseas. Oh, yeah, Bogdan. Yeah, he's nasty. Yo, he's nice. I've seen them in person play. Yo, first of all, Fox is one of the fastest cats. He might be ever with, with Westbrook and um and Wall. John Wall what, when John Wall was healthy. Yeah, but them cats can play, and they all play off each other. Like that's what I like. Well, I saw them play Houston, um, and it was crazy. But like I said, uh, so that's my and the only people I put only other team I put that you didn't put. I didn't put New Orleans. I put um the Bulls. Only uh, the Bulls were the Bulls were gonna be that that was my fifth pick. Oh wait, so who was your five then? I've got Bulls. I've got Bucks. I've got New Orleans. Who else did I say? Um, Bulls, Bucks, New Orleans, Philly, and it was one of the other teams that you mentioned, Denver. Okay. Yeah. See, I had, I had um, Sacramento, Atlanta, the Bulls, Philly, and Denver. I think I didn't put the Bucks. Well, who who's the young core in the Bucks? Because they got rid of Brogdon, and they got they got Middleton. They got obviously Greek Freak. Middleton's twenty seven. Giannis is twenty four. Giannis's brother's twenty seven. Bledsoe's twenty nine. Connaughton's twenty six. Who? Pat Connaughton, the oh, oh, backup left handed. Yeah, the backhand, that white boy with bungees that we know only going to last another two more years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. until, until he get dumped. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know the Brent Barry effect? Like, once you get to 20, 28 and you're white, unfortunately, it just seems like the athleticism decline is much sharper on, on these, these, these white athletes. Like, I don't really recall any late model white dudes getting off the ground. Remember Gugliotta used to have hops? Yo, yeah, yeah, Tom Google. He was a Long Island dude, too. Tom Chambers had hops. Tom Chambers, that's all. Yes, Tom Chambers had hops. There's a lot Other of these that. freakish, like, you know, wow, he really got some bungees and then out of nowhere. And then they got the other white boy with bungees, DiVincenzo, who went to um Villanova over there in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. they, I, I mean, I and, and again, Middleton's only 27, even with that gotcha. ridiculous contract. So I, I feel like that's the Eastern Conference Finals returning team. You can't just... As long as your best player is 24 years old. I mean, Giannis just got his, his grown man teeth last year. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so, crazy. So that's why I couldn't, I couldn't consciously move them out knowing where they were last year and where they're slated to expect it to be this year and say, well, yeah, because they're veteranish because of how far they got. And no, nah, I'm going to go ahead and say that that young core that they have with Giannis as the centerpiece, that's one of the top five. When you've got the league MVP – and he's under 25, you've got a core. So I kind of felt like they kind of unfortunately bumped the team like the Kings. The Kings are going to be interesting. And here's why I think the Kings are going to be interesting. The next three years, all they have to do is keep getting better while those other two teams in L.A. and Golden State continue to age out. Yeah, but I would take the Kings over the Pelicans. Based off of what they've done, resume-wise, you, you're right. You're right. The Kings fought for the eighth spot up until, what, maybe the last two, three weeks of the season? Yeah. So 
Yeah, you 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 can fairly do so. I I just feel like the ceiling for what that assembly of kids they have in New Orleans is in comparison to what we might get out of Sacramento because of where Sacramento unfortunately plays and the division that they're in. They're in a division that's in a, you know, empty out, reload, spring back ahead of you type of franchise. You know, remember, they're in the Pacific. So when they have a division game in that Pacific division, they're looking at Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, and Suns. There's only one doormat, really, and that's Phoenix. So even as they continue to reload and get better, the teams around them, because of where they're expected to be as far as the NBA echelon goes, they're going to reload. And they're going to reload with players that are just by nature probably going to be better than – I mean, De'Aaron Fox has to find his way into the top 10 point guards. You know, Buddy Hield is going to be a top 20 shooting guard always because the guy's accurate. Yeah. So I don't think he's ever going to be a, yo, let's come down the court, pass the ball to Buddy Hill on the wing and watch, watch him go to work. He, he wasn't even that in Oklahoma. He was a come off of 75 pin downs and shoot an open jump shot. Or if you're trailing him, he's going to, you know, start to enter towards the paint, take a floater or mid-range two. But he's not really like a two guard that has that attack capability that makes those two guards really, you know, elite. I just think his shooting is definitely going to keep him able to start, and he plays great defense. So, Bagley, he's the wild card. Yeah. Because he, he's, he's, what, 6'11", 7 feet, left-handed, can shoot from outside. Yeah, he's got that little elbow, little, little handle. 12, 15-footer. He, he's got ridiculous hops already. I mean, come on, he caught a 360 alley-oop. So, I definitely see a capacity for Marvin Bagley to be able to take them places that, De'Aaron alone won't be able to. But um, I'm pretty satisfied with what we discussed as far as your, um, the top five cores. Let's go to your first initial bullet point, which was what team or teams are going to be the biggest surprises for the upcoming season? Yeah, see, I, I was... Um, I think initially I had the surprises. One of my surprises was the, the Kings... Uh, because they played so well last year, like I said, they were fighting. They were fighting. You know, like I said, I mean, um, but I think the biggest surprise. I really think Utah is going to be like a top three seed. You know, maybe even top two seed. You know, um, I really think because I think Utah's always been a solid team. I mean, and their biggest star is Mitchell. He's on his. He's going into his third year. So he's going to take a massive leap, but then also you got when you got Conley, and you got the dude, um, the dude that just came from Indiana, Bogdanovich. Um, yeah, they got those those added pieces to Rudy Gobert and um, the selection of other people that they have. I think they're going to be, they're going to surprise a lot of people and win a lot of games. I think they're going to be what what Denver was last year. You know how like Denver was just like. When, Denver was the second best team in the in the West. That's what I'm saying. So I you've think, got Utah possibly. There. So their ceiling, their max out, is top two record in in, in the West, which is probably going to put them in one of the best four or five records in the in the league. Yeah. That Utah roster, I think so. I think okay. So. so let's go over their roster real quick because you got them as a surprise. Just so that people are familiar, you're talking about Bojan Bogdanovic, who came from Indiana. Yep. You got uh, Mike Conley. 
Tony Bradley, who is a new player to their team. Uh, Ed Davis, who came over as a free agent. Dante Exum, who I've always liked, but I don't think I've ever really, or he's ever really gotten enough opportunity. I think he'll get it this year, especially playing under a guy like Conley. And the fact that he's 6'6", he can kind of be on the floor with Conley and play off the ball too. When you're 6'6", you're you're kind of a lot. I mean, just ask... uh, just ask Sean Livingston what happens when you're a tall guard in the NBA and you have ball handling abilities. They find ways to keep you on the floor. Rudy Gobert, yeah. Jeff Green. They picked up Jeff Green. They got the Ingles, dude. White boy. Yeah, Ingles. Spider Mitchell. Yeah. Moody. Yeah, they, they picked up Moody. Moody, who's going to be a very serviceable backup if Exum isn't able to fill that in. So I think they kind of do have a nice conundrum at point guard with Moody and Dante Exum probably having the same issue. Because I'm pretty sure Moutier only signed like a one-year deal. And yeah, Dante is still trying to prove himself. And Dante's making twice as much as Emmanuel Moutier is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of these other guys, Nyang, he actually, wasn't he in, uh, was Nyang always in um, in Utah? Or was, yeah, he was always in Utah. Because there's a kid who resembles him who plays for the Thunder. So I always kind of get them confused. Mm-hmm. And was Royce, always, what was the other dude, O'Neal dude? Yeah, Royce O'Neal. Yeah, I actually have their roster up on the screen. You got Royce O'Neal, um, some kid, Mie Oni from Yale, which is going to go ahead and move past that. I never heard of him, and I can't really put expectations on somebody I'm not familiar with. Cephalosha is still there. And they got Ekpe Udo, who, you know, with the Baylor, is a serviceable backup center, backup power forward. And then they got my boy from Hofstra, who's actually a relative of one of my former coworkers, Justin Wright Froman, who was one of really? the NCAA. I know, his, I know his pops. Me and his pops grew up together. Yeah, he was what one of the leading scorers in NCAA basketball last year. Yeah, I think he was top top three. I think. Yeah, I mean he was putting up like almost thirty a game type of leading the <laughs> leading the country in scoring. Yeah, no, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I mean I saw his highlights, and he's and he's legit six plus. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know what? You know what? Fine, I'll accept you. Not to well, say I could decline it because think about Utah. They only finished four games from that number two seed. And I think they got better. So now, now, granted, this is a whole new year; a lot can happen. But you're only four games from the number two seed, so you could technically. And that's the thing about the West; it's going to be a challenge every night because you, um, when you take a look at like the standards from last year, Utah was the five seed, and they were four games from being the number two seed, like. That's the West is literally every game is gonna matter. It's gonna be like college football. Like every okay, game so is let's, gonna matter. So let's simplify this. We universally, and if you disagree, tell me now. We universally agree that the records to get into the playoffs last year are close to or equivalent to what teams are gonna have to do this year to get back to the playoffs. The eighth oh, seed in the West was had to win wins. forty-eight wins. Yeah. Utah had 50. The highest seed had 57. And you're saying saying. they're better. How many games? And to say they're better and then to say how many games better is probably not a fair representation because I think you can have a worse record from the previous year and then come playoff time, you'll just be better because all of your pieces will finally start to fit. So when you actually come together, it's never going to always best be evaluated by your record. But... If Utah won 50 games last year and was the fifth seed and they're going to be better and they were only three games out of the team that they played against, which was Houston, 
That means we're putting them in that 54 to 55 win category. For them to be a surprise, they have to outdo what they did last year and go further than they did. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, they only went to the well, they went to the first. Did they make it to the second round? They went to the, nah, they lost to Houston. Houston made it to saying. the second round and played Golden State and then flamed out. So that's what I'm saying. So even if I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of. But two years ago, they went to the semifinals. Because yeah. remember, they beat the Thunder. And yep. then who did they lose to? Was they it lost the Blazers? To State. The Blazers, I think. No, no, they lost to Golden State because. No, because... no. Actually, they lost to the Rockets again. Mm, that's right. We had Spider because that's that's when Spider caught the miss off the rim. Yeah, you dunked to himself yes. in that second yep. round that they still wound up losing. So yes, yep, yep, you're right. So Utah, in effect, if this year they don't get to the Western Conference Finals because they've already maxed out at the semifinals two years ago, and then they bottomed by only getting out the first round last year, their apex is to get Western Conference Finals or better for them to actually be a surprise. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so that's some tough uphill. Yeah, you really I'm want to put that on the now? Yeah, that might be tough. Well, I mean, well, see the thing about it. I mean, we could say somebody the Clippers is not going to be a surprise because you know they just retooled crazy. I mean, they right. went 48 games, but they could win technically. They could win 50, 55, or 50. They could do 57. You know what I'm saying that's a nine game jump. In the the West, Clippers could win 60 games next year. I know, but what I'm saying this is a Doc Rivers team. So you so basically that's what I'm saying. So so uh, but but do you consider them a surprise? No, that's no. what I mean. So the only so surprise who, who only occurs surprise? when Houston beats the Clippers. Yeah, that's so when who, the surprise happens. So wait, so wait, so who who do you have as the surprise team? When when I went and chose, I want you to understand my my level of thinking when I put these together. I knew better than to go to the standings and pick the teams that were already in that playoff expected to be there and choose to make them surprises. I kind of played it safe in contrast to what you did. So I think the Chicago Bulls are going to surprise people this year. I don't know if that means the playoffs, but they could wind up really being an annoying team to play next year. And they only won 22 games last year. So if they win 35, that's a 13-game improvement for what they did last year, and that causes a lot of problems in the East. When the bottom teams start getting better, it brings the rest of the conference to more of a, le- a level playing field, which is what we saw in the West. Remember, you had Golden State, Denver, Portland, Houston, and then it was just a matter of whose season swung the wrong way. If we go back and look over it, like you just said, Sacramento could have played themselves into the playoffs. LeBron doesn't pull his groin, they're probably in the playoffs. But what teams do you knock out? It's really well, hard to make a decision. Well, you got to knock out. Well, so that's the thing. This That's why the West, I don't see too – I only use Utah as them raising their stands because obviously you know the Lakers are going to be in, right? So Oklahoma City is going to be out. The Lakers are going to take that spot, right? I, other than that, I don't see it moving anywhere. I don't see – I think Sacramento's – I don't see – I can see Sacramento – only you know they could win forty five games next season, but they could still miss the playoffs. Right. I know? think so. And speaking on the West, I think Dallas is going to surprise people next year. I don't know how many games they're going to win. They obviously started tanking after what after they traded DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, once they and they still the managed to win thirty three games. Yeah, but the sad part about it is thirty three games. 
you still 15 or so. Um, right. So I don't know. I don't. And they were the second worst team in the West. The second worst team in the West won 33 games. The 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 team that won 32 games was the fifth worst team in the East, and that's Washington. Miami won 39. That middle ground doesn't exist in the West. It was literally Phoenix is trash, and everybody else is a player two away. Yeah. See, and that's most. It would be interesting to see what Porzingis does uh, if he comes back to. I think Porzingis is a fifteen-plus wins type of guy. I don't. I, not in the West, to me. I think period. Because remember, is the West still better than the East? Yeah. This is the year where the West has to cash out on every single one of those interconference games. You oh, cannot yes, let yes. Cleveland come to Sacramento and beat you. Yes, yeah, you can't have an off night. You, when you play the East, you got to win pretty much all them games. And remember, you only get them twice. So you have to feast on those teams. You have to. And I think yeah. that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the East is going to get feasted on, and, like, the East eighth seed is going to be, you know, borderline might not even be 500 because of the disparity of power and talent. So that's why I'm saying – these Western teams that got better but didn't get better, 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 they're still going to be so much better than the opposing conference that they're going to rack up wins that they weren't even able to get because they were pretty much on par with the teams they were playing in the Eastern Conference. But yeah, I think yeah. that Chicago, because they now have essentially a fleshed-out starting unit and they have a system in place and it's defensive-based, and in a regular season, teams that play the best defense seem to always seem to be able to stay at or around 500. If you go back and look statistically at the teams that are, are, are leading the league and opposing field goal percentage and points per game, they're up there. They're up there as far as their record goes. For some reason, it holds well. Like, defense wins championships is truly, you know, it's one of those most rightful, accurate statements when it comes to basketball. And I think Chicago is going to defend so that's why I have them as a surprise team. I also think Atlanta is going to surprise people. Yeah, I think because they won 29 games last year. And considering that it was Trey Young and John Collins, and that was kind of – I mean, Prince did, was doing all right for them, I thought. Um, but overall, it was really just them two cats. You know what I mean? And like I said, Trey Young got a lot of slack because um, Luka Doncic was real nice. But Trey Young in that second half of the season, he came on strong. Like – he, uh, you know, he got off to a slow start, a little rookie, rookie jitters or whatever. But he, he was shooting the lights out. I, mean, I, listen, I think he's only going to be better with these rules in the NBA. A cat like him that has the ball that can shoot, they, they're going to always be effective. You know, because he's still young. He's getting, he's got some floaters. He's, you know, dishing the ball off. You got some athletes around him. Yeah, I could definitely see them winning. A, I mean, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs, but they could definitely be a five to ten game improvement. Agreed. Agreed. When, when it comes to all the teams that are involved with, like, the major free agent moves, I don't really think it's fair to say whatever they do is going to be a surprise. I don't think you go out and spend $125 million to surprise people. You go out and spend $125 million to get to the playoffs. So I don't really see a point in saying, oh, Boston's going to surprise people. Boston was the number four seed last year. So but I do still think that Boston is going to be very competitive and actually better as a team with what they have now. 
in comparison to what they had last year. You know, I think Al Horford, his impact on that team is highly overrated. I mean, I do think he did bring a lot of good elements of fundamental basketball. And, you know, they all big up his locker room presence, so on and so forth. But if his locker room presence was so great, then what happened with Kyrie? Yeah, but I mean, I think also, I mean, I think, I think they're, they're giving out. And I, yeah, Al Horford to me was always a weird cat. Like, he, to me, yes, he got a lot more accolades sometimes than he deserved. But I think in Philadelphia's case, they took him because he played the best defense on Embiid. So, you know what? It's like, hey, listen. So, we're going to pay you $109 million to get you out of our way. Listen, I don't, I, I, I don't agree with that, that deal. We can't beat you, so please join us. Listen, I don't agree with that deal. I think, I, honestly, this, would, I was, this was going to be my, um, the, one of the biggest issues. I think Philadelphia is one of those teams that's going to be in a big trouble because you're paying all this paper for this starting five. And if y'all don't get the, at least the Eastern Conference Finals, if not the NBA Finals, in a year or two, you got to figure no, out. No, 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 no. The Philadelphia 76ers are on the clock as of the right moment now. Embiid started crying to get to the NBA Finals. That's all they can do. And if, if their fans, because we have six of fans that, that listen to us, if their fans disagree with that, I would be highly disappointed. You don't go and do what they did in the offseason, spend upwards of $300 million in long-term commitments. Actually, more than 300 because if you yeah. take the Simmons contract of 170 the the Tobias 180, is a 180, that's 350 right there. And then you gave Horford 109 So what are we at? Yep. 450 Half a billion dollars. Yep. Just they don't deliver. The, yeah, you can't go to the Eastern Conference Finals. No, they, you can't. They were essentially in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, because let's just be real. What Toronto did to Milwaukee was an exhibition and y'all not ready. Yeah. And we'll never see that Milwaukee team again. So Basically. Milwaukee is pretty much a tentpole to be expected to be back in the Eastern Conference Finals because the team that beat them won't be the same again. So we're already giving Milwaukee for, you know, respect, we'll call it, the gentleman's respect that they'll be there waiting for whoever else is going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And to me, that has to be Philadelphia. If it's, it anything, other, if it's anything other than Philadelphia, then that's got to be a disappointment for their season. And I hope it's not due to injury because, you know, that Philadelphia team does have some players that are a little gimpy, subject to not possibly playing a full season, so on and so forth. Healthy yeah. and on the floor for the majority of the season, Philadelphia, Eastern Conference Finals are finals. That's it. No, that's what I was saying. That's exactly what I was saying. I think I mean, I also think if depend, like you said, I, I, in my opinion, I think it all dictates off of Embiid's health. Like, if he's healthy and you don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals, I wouldn't be surprised if they decide not to re-sign him. You know what I mean? And to make him trade bait because you gar- you lock yourself into these players a little too much, and if you can't get them to win, it's a wrap. Like, I, like. Now okay. you need to win. Philadelphia needs to win. You, but you, flip I mean, the you, coin to the other side. What happens if Embiid now, – now, this is going to be a big reach. Embiid somehow manages to come in with the kung fu hustle physique. He plays 72 games. 
Because mind you, he's still seven foot two, seven foot three. And you should never trot your seven foot anything guy out there for 82 games. You definitely yeah, at least give him six to eight games of seasonal rest. I mean, with this whole load management thing that they're doing, you would be idiotic to expect your big man who had the trouble that he had getting on the floor to be able to be on the floor for anything more than 70-plus games. So Embiid yeah, gets yeah. to 68, 70 games played for the season. Philadelphia wins 50-plus games, number two seed, number one seed in the, in the East. Eastern Conference Finals are finals. Let's say they get there, and then that's when we realize that Ben Simmons is the problem. Now what do you do? Ooh. You've got him on the books for $170 million. Nobody yep. is going to take Tobias Harris from you. Well, no, you know what? No. You know what? Let's not say that. Because in this day and age, we sat here and probably thought that Westbrook and, 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 um, Westbrook Paul, and, and Paul, no, Chris Paul, couldn't get flipped. Okay. And yeah. we saw them get flipped yeah. for each other. Which yeah, nobody, sure. even though the numbers made sense, nobody was prepared for Oklahoma City to engage in such a trade, but they did. So, I think yeah, Philadelphia... If you got draft picks, people will take it. I think Philadelphia, if it doesn't work out, they'll move off Simmons before they'll move off Embiid. It won't be the smartest move based off health, but I think that's what they'll do. Embiid has a bigger personality. The city's taken to him well. I mean... He's probably one of the top five most popular athletes, young athletes on Twitter. So I think think he's kind of a linchpin to what they have going. And if he comes back committed, that's just going to reinforce that that's their guy. So if things don't go well for Philly, I I see Simmons gone before I see Embiid. See, if I'm ownership, I'm hiring all types of specialists for him. A nutritionist, a a trainer... (laughs) And, yo, you're following all year round. Like, yo, if I'm invested this type of money into you, I'm making sure weight is never an issue. But have you heard some of the stories of what they were letting him get away with? Like, he ate something like cheeseburgers before every game. That's what I'm saying. You can't do Like, just all types of silliness. But that's what I mean. Like, I remember back in the day hearing, and he might still do it, but Pat Riley had, like, a body fat rule. Yeah, he, has he, the ba- he had the body mass index that he brought in, and that's what had major issues with during that Miami Heat run. That Shaquille O'Neal was never the type to follow that type of protocol. Exactly. But my thing is this. Yo, if I'm about to give you 40-something million dollars a year, you cannot be overweight. Like, I'm sorry. You can't can't be the the reason why we're losing is because you're not on the floor because you decided to have McDonald's. Nah. Nah. You know. uh -uh, I'm good. That's not an injury. It'd be... It befuddled me something crazy that uh, they scratched Embiid for stomach issues during the what the, the during the playoffs. There was a game yeah. he couldn't play because his stomach hurt. Exactly. Now, not to say he's weak or this, that, and a third. Listen, the stomach is a very sensitive part of the body, but the fact that he was able to put himself in a position where his stomach could be hurting him, an NBA player, like when it happened back when we were kids. Remember the flu game? Michael Jordan went out that yeah. night, so on and so forth. And there was something with his stomach, and he was taking stuff, which dehydrated him, which gave him those flu-like symptoms. He never actually had the flu. If you go back and read the story, you'll find out that he didn't have the flu. He took something to try and give himself 
to dehydrate himself so that he could rehydrate himself. It all backfired, basically. Long story short. Then there's the whole Kobe Bryant food poisoning thing. I forgot what mm-hmm. team they were playing with in the playoffs, and that happened. What was that like? Denver, it might have been was Denver it, was or it Utah. The with Orlando, maybe I don't remember. But he still played. Yeah, he still played. Yeah, yeah. Point being, in this level, in this era of NBA, I don't think stomach issues is tolerable unless you got something like colitis going on. You know what I mean? Like that's what yeah, I'm yeah. trying to say. Like, oh, he's got an intestinal bug or. Or something like that. Like, remember when Blake Griffin had a staph infection? That's never something that we. Blake Griffin and uh, and uh, uh, Luau Deng, only two guys I ever heard of in NBA history getting staph infections. Like, there's just certain things that don't happen to NBA players that happen to exactly. NBA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, going back to surprises, I think I mentioned Chicago. I mentioned Atlanta. Out mm-hmm. west. I don't know if I really had a surprise other than to say New Orleans might really be a headache. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, it I might mean, really Z- be a headache. Z- it'd be interesting to see what Zion does. I mean, I think he's going to bring a lot of energy, a lot of a lot of excitement to the city. Hopefully that translates into it's going to be some ESPN top 10 dunks probably. So, yeah, I mean, I think that team will be a team that you say, if they could, you know, figure it out in a couple of years, this team's always going to be fun to watch. I think know? we'll I'm dedicate gonna... an episode to the New Orleans Pelicans and the uh, potential pros and cons yeah. for how, Zion how, Williamson how career. GM was able to flip Anthony Davis for that many pieces that if they all work out the way he wants them to work out, could be, you know, a quality team for years to come. I don't want to put too much rain on that, on that potential podcast that we're definitely going to do, but I'm just going to say this. In the history of the NBA, whenever that statement that you just said is said, we know it never works out. Something always comes along that, you know, makes a turn for the worse or the better in regards to that. Like, what New Orleans has right now is literally a genie in a bottle, you know? And there's so many different directions it could go. With all the different moving parts and all the things that come along with it, because, I mean, briefly, we'll explore it. Something's wrong mentally with Brandon Ingram. There's an edge to him that I worry about. He's definitely one of the – if I had a top five guy who's going to get suspended for something he does on the court, he's already on it because of what he did last year. And yeah. I don't think it's going to get any better. Did you see his introductory press conference picture of him holding yeah, the jersey? Yeah. No. Oh, man. When you find it and we do our follow-up podcast, make sure you remind me that you saw it. So before we, we, we continue to drag any, drag any further, as far as, you know, surprises – Let's go to your second bullet point because you already kind of hinged on it. The buyer's remorse of the free agents. Yeah. And uh, since you had already started with Philadelphia, were you, were you kind of quietly nominating Tobias Harris for one of those slots for buyer's remorse or was it Al Horford? Uh, no, it was just, it was just, actually it was all of, it was Harris. I was, I was thinking a whole starting five, like, like, mm. something five. I want to say because Richardson, I think his his deal is, is is okay. But I was thinking more of the Simmons, Harris, and um, Al Horford, because like you said, if if Philadelphia is not winning, putting themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals, they're spending all that money for nothing. Like I'm not spending money for y'all to be losers, you know. And I think that would be the buyer's remorse, like. Yo, do we overpay all these cats this money and they're not putting out what we want, the expectations. So, I mean, that was really what I was going at with that. And then it was just, to me, um, 
the next, to me, it was just kind of like, you know, which wouldn't really be a surprise. Well, it's not really by his remorse. Um, this was a, just a surprise with the Raptors. Like, more so if the Raptors, Raptors don't start winning by the trade deadline, they could be a fire sale because they got a lot of expiring contracts. You got Marcus Saul, you got Kyle Lowry, you got Vlant Fleet, you got, um, I want to say, I think it was Mbaka too. You got like three or four of their top rotational players that are expiring deals, you know, um, depending on how their season is going, they might have a little, they might be like, look, all these cats is available, you know, we're trying to never mm-hmm. just build around Siakam and go from there. Can you really envision Toronto not being competitive next year? I'm not, no, but I'm saying you just never know what happens. Kyle Lowry, yo, did you know he's on the book for like 30 something million dollars next year? Yeah. He's got one of those. He's got one of those heavily backloaded deals that him and DeRozan got around the same time when they were the franchise cornerstones. And yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not at all surprised. So you got Gasol. He's on the books for 22 mil. Lowry, yeah. 33 across the board. His, oh, his contract is all threes. I think that's creepy. So yeah, Ibaka. I don't but know when his saying. ends, but so... he's 21 mil. Norman Powell is actually their fourth highest played player at 10 million. And then you got Van Vliet at nine, McCaw at four, Staley Johnson, who they scooped up out of nowhere. Siakam is only making one point six million. Well, because that's just he's like that rookie deal. Ananubi, who I like. We'll see what happens with him because he came. He tore his ACL, right? No, he had something else. I forgot what happened to him, but it definitely was leg related. But it wasn't an ACL. It was, uh, uh, you know, like a super hyper extended knee type of thing. And he was actually oh. healthy during the finals. They just chose not to play him. Uh, okay. So, but I think that has a lot to do with Masai. Masai is a little cunning. Oh, my God. That guy. Don't trade with him. The stuff that he pulled off in Denver, when he fleeced New York oh. to get Carmelo Anthony out of there. Oh, man. Yo, don't trade with him. There's, there's like five guys in the NBA that if you get a call from him and they says he wants to talk to you about trading, you hang up the phone. Because you yes. don't even want to hear what he's going to offer you. Jerry West, Sam Presti, Masai. Yeah. Um, who, who was the other guy who I said, oh, man, he's sneaky. Uh, the, the, the guy who, who's running the office over in, in Memphis, don't, don't deal with him. I don't know him. I don't remember his name. I know that John Hollinger was a part of their front office. I don't know who the official general manager is for Memphis, but be very wary of trade uh, 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 of of trading with him. Now, yeah, there's certain dudes that just know you know what it is. They got so much insight that you'd be like, "Yo, this is crazy." Yeah, or they just uh, Danny Ainge is my fifth, by the way. So, oh yeah, yeah, Danny, yeah, he's so dude. D- Trader Danny. Oh man, you don't you don't get a name like Trader Danny for nothing. So. The reason why I put the GM for Memphis up there is because how do you get rid of Chandler Parsons' contract? Yo, talk about it. Yo, he must have had some dirt on the team they traded him to. He must have had some, he must have had some pictures of the, the owner. In some they try place. to. If you go and go on YouTube and look for Chandler Parsons' workout videos, yeah. he's 6'10", and you forget that watching him move around on the court. Like, I remember that one year he played with Harden in Houston. I was like, yo, he went to Florida. And I'm big on guys who went to certain programs. When they get to the league, outplaying what their draft stock might have been simply because of the college they went to 
And I'm big on yeah. Florida guys always being able to figure it out, kind of like how Duke guys always find a way to figure out their niche and, and, and latch on to something that gives them longevity in the league. They may not necessarily become a star, but you're not going to just get them off your roster. I mean, and, yeah. and Duke is pretty evident with that. I mean, like, come on. How is Luke Kennard still gainfully employed? You get what I'm trying to say? And then uh-huh. you, got, you got Tyus Jones, who just scooped up $28 million just because he was in the right place at the right time. So, again, I think he's going to get flipped, by the way, because he went to Memphis. But, anyway, my point is, as far as the um, buyer's remorse guys go, I think the Jimmy Butler situation in Miami, that is going to play out terrible. Yeah. I have no and, – and I don't have anything against Miami Heat fans. I definitely – I used to live in Miami. I spent a lot of my formative years there. I definitely enjoy when, they're, when they've got something good going in sports. But Jimmy Butler's not a good look. No, he like I said, he chose the lifestyle. I saw, yeah, because no, I he's got this sick – in my mind, he's got this sick obsession with replicating Dwayne Wade. Maybe. That's what I'm saying. But as I mean, you still chose the lifestyle because you want to be like Wade. You want to be out there where he's at. You're not winning. You're focused on winning. Wade, Wade was able to win in the sun, but you're not. Butler's not going to be able to do that. So yeah, I, he. You got to think about it. If he forced his way out of Chicago and Minnesota, Minnesota and Philly, the thing about it is Pat Riley's another type of animal. So I don't know how he's going to be able to force his way out of that. But see, that's the thing. Nobody ever has reported to to Miami. Or any other team that Jimmy Butler's played for, that he was type of problem with the coaching. That's never been the issue. The problem with Jimmy Butler is how he gets along with the guys he's working with, his coworkers. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> his, 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 uh, his LinkedIn reviews from fellow coworkers is probably terrible. You get what I'm trying to say? I mean, they did go into some of the quirky things he does, and I never want to hold guys who are quirky because, come on, man, you and I, we were in a locker room together. We had quirky guys in our locker room. You just ignore them. That's not, that's not the problem. Yeah. The problem well, is if it, you're just a, you know, an a-hole. And everybody yeah. said that in the locker room, Jimmy Butler's an a-hole. On top of him playing country music and some of the other goofy stuff he does, he doesn't ride the team bus, he takes Ubers and... He's all type of outlandish stuff. Yeah, he's got, he's got some character to him, but I just think that, like, it's really hard to imagine any group of guys saying, we're going to follow your lead, Jimmy. I didn't see Philly doing that. And I think that's why Philly didn't progress when they had yeah. an opportunity to. Because I don't think that that team was ready to from a Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Tobias Harris kind of quietly protested. You know, he played hard and didn't complain. But I don't think he was feeling Jimmy too much either. But I don't think that they were able to rally under him being that guy. The same way the Raptors were just like, yo, Kawhi, do what you got to do. If I'm open, I'll shoot it. You know, they exactly. had, he, he had that respect and his demeanor and the way he handled himself as a person made it easy for them to all just, I don't, wanna, I don't like using words like fall in line, but they all just bought in. And that's how they were able to take that microwave chemistry all the way to an NBA championship. I don't think a player like Jimmy Butler will ever be able to generate that because he no, had good never. years in Chicago. He had yeah. good years in Minnesota, but the overall team success never reflected what he had going on there. And I think as long as he has that mentality or that goofiness about him, it's going to continue to affect what they have going on. 